the University of Georgia was the first chartered public university in the United States. And I don't know if you are aware or not, but um, its first president, Abraham Baldwin, uh, was a preacher. He went to Yale Divinity School and spent years in ministry and then went into higher education. In fact, a president of the Georgia Baptist Convention, uh, P.H. Mell, was president of the university as well. And while president of the university, uh, he pressed the trustees to make fraternities legal uh, on the campus. And uh, that uh, also that students would not have to live on the campus, but uh, would be allowed to be a, a part of the community and live in apartments. Uh, the uh, University of Georgia and its charter states that it was uh, established and uh, founded in order to promote religion and morality. So early on in the early days of Athens, there was an intense commitment, to don't giggle, but it, there was an intense commitment to uh, promoting the Christian faith. In fact, the officers of the university, responsible for administration and instruction, all had to be of the Christian faith. Um, whatever denomination they chose. But that's how the University of Georgia was started, and Athens built up and grew around that sentiment and that heart. Uh, in fact, there's a division between Clark County and Oconee County because Oconee County had a tavern, and Clark County, or the, those near the University of Georgia, wanted nothing to do with that. They did not want students to get near drinking. Let me change sides over here and tell you, <laughs> my, how things have changed. I want to make it clear to you this, though. God's love never gives up, and Beach Haven will never give up reaching the Athens region for Jesus Christ. That's because of our text today, Hosea chapter 3. And I hope you've got one of these inserts today. The uh, Grow uh, Outreach uh, Commitment Card. I want you to take this and tuck it in your Bible and pray through this this week. And next Sunday, I'm going to ask you to make a commitment to giving us uh, up to two hours, sometime between September 23rd and November 25th, one hour at a time, to do some outreach. You might want to write letters or cards. You may want to make a phone call. You may want to visit. That's entirely up to you, but uh, it may be one hour in September and one hour in October. It may be one hour in October, one hour in November, but I need two hours from you uh, uh, in those dates to do some significant outreach. God always blesses it because we've got a message to share, and God's love never gives up, and that's what we find in Hosea chapter 3. Hey, it reminds me of the fellow who um, was in his basement. Uh, it was somewhat dark in the corner where he was, and he smelled a gas leak. So he lit a match, and he found the leak. It took the fire department 90 minutes to put out the fire from his home, and all of his hair was just about singed off. He blew up his home. A woman by the name of Gomer is married to a prophet named Hosea, and she blows up her home. It's precisely what she does. Uh, God told Hosea in chapter 1, verse 2, Go marry a wife, but I'm afraid she's not going to be faithful to you any more than Israel was faithful to me. And that proved to be true. They were married for a while and had a first child, but then the next two children that came along did not belong to Hosea. She got off into a life of promiscuity and had two children 
outside the marriage bonds. Well, she finally gave up on marriage, just gave up on the charade, and she left, and she chased money, and she went into prostitution. And things got so bad for her that uh, Hosea finds her one day in chapter 3, and he has to purchase his wife out of slavery. And that's what we have here in this text. And God uses this in Hosea chapter, well, the entire book of Hosea, but especially chapter 3, to say that is precisely what Israel and so many of my followers have done with me. They have committed spiritual adultery. They've had more zeal for other things than me. They've had more heart for other things than me. They've had more passion and interest in other things than me, including other gods and other priorities. Now, never make the mistake when you read about Israel after the days of Solomon of thinking that Israel completely abandoned Judaism. Oh, no. Israel did not become less religious. Israel became more religious. Israel did not abandon the practice of Old Testament worship. Israel just added pagan worship to their worship and so they had the opportunity to do something new, novel, and creative on one hand, and then to soothe their conscience with the practice of the Old Testament faith, and thus it has been for a long, long time. There are a lot of folks that still have a problem with spiritual adultery. They've got more love for things other than God. They've got more interest for things other than the Lord and His work. They've got more concern and burden for things outside the interest of God. In other words, their burdens, their passions, their loves, their interests do not match those of God. They match those of the world. And if others were to find out if they were Christians, they would be thoroughly surprised. That's what we're dealing with in Hosea chapter 3. And I want you to begin reading me with me in chapter 3 and verse 1. And here we're going to find that through Hosea's tragic marriage and Gomer's uh, adultery that God articulates his undying, unbeatable love for Israel. Chapter 3, verse 1. Then the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery, just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel, who look to other gods and love the raisin cakes of the pagans. A small little dessert item that was used in pagan worship. So... I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and one and a half homers of barley. And I said to her, You shall stay with me for many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man. So too will I be toward you. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, without ephod or teraphim, Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They shall, uh, they shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. Ladies and gentlemen, you may find yourself in the position of a Hosea. You may find yourself in the position of a Gomer. You may find yourself in the position of Israel. You may find yourself in the position of God himself. But God's love never gives up. Never does. And so I want you to see three things from this text that drive this point home. And the first is this, the long-suffering of God's love. 
You know what the word long-suffering means? Sometimes it's used as a synonym for patience. And it means you're willing to suffer long when someone else is wrong, and it's taking them time to get their stuff together and to get things right. Hey, what a great definition of patience. Suffering long and when someone's wrong until they get their stuff together. That's what patience is. That's what long-suffering is. And God has long-suffering for those that are humble before Him. In fact, Hebrews 4.14 says, He is touched with the feeling of our weaknesses. Everything we do, whether it's righteous or unrighteous, evil, good, honorable or wicked, touches God Himself. Because whenever we come to Christ as Savior, if you know Christ today, Jesus came into your life, and He accompanies you everywhere. He accompanies you through every experience. He does not leave. And so, whenever we involve ourselves in sinful behavior, we force Him through that experience. And the same is true with honorable behavior. The same is true with service. He goes through with us in those experiences. He is long-suffering. He is patient all the way through every errant word. He is patient through every dishonorable attitude. He has long suffering. He is touched with the feeling of our weaknesses. He has incredible long suffering and that reflects itself in just the first few words of verse number one of chapter three. Look what he says. God's already commanded him to marry Gomer She is now off into prostitution and then in slavery to her pimp. In chapter 3, verse 1, Then the Lord said to me, Go again. Go again. Do it again. Take her again. Bring her home again. Reaffirm your love again. Reaffirm your vows again. Be as long-suffering with me as I have been with Israel. Be as long-suffering to her as I have been to Israel. Listen, you've got to understand something. Whenever you go through a time of spiritual adultery, if you'll humble yourself before God, you've got to understand that's going to be a bigger problem for you than it will God. God knew that you were going to get into it. God knew that you would embarrass Him. God knew that you would grow distant from Him whatever it is that you're facing, and God has long-suffering now for you if you humble yourself before Him. And so the, the challenge and the difficulties that we're talking about this morning will be a bigger problem for you than God. God then in those times when you're humble before Him becomes your greatest ally, your go-to person, the one who comes in when everyone else walks out. And some of you have been abandoned. Some of you have been left behind. And if not physically, if if people have not left you and left you physically behind, then, then at least emotionally and relationally, and I'm telling you, God is not in that number. God has long suffering for those that are humble before Him. And so the long suffering of God's love. But there's a second thing, and that is the look of God's love. The look of God's love. Chad Spielman was a outstanding All-American linebacker for the Ohio State University back in the 80s. He was drafted and had some tremendous seasons in the NFL from about the time he was drafted in 89 or 90 until 1998. He played in four Pro Bowls as a linebacker. 
But then his wife, Stephanie, contracted breast cancer. And you know what he did? He took a year off from the NFL. And he took care of her. He drove her to appointments. He watched after the kids. He got them to school. He did all of the housework, taking that year off from the NFL. When chemotherapy took her hair from her, he shaved his head as well to identify with her. He went back the next year to play football, but in training camp, went ahead and retired. His heart just was not there in football any longer. He returned home to his wife. And she battled breast cancer until 2009, until she passed away. Do you understand? There is nothing like that in this story. Chris Spielman said of Stephanie, she's the only girlfriend I ever had. You can't say that about Gomer. She's not, Hosea was not the only man she'd ever had. There's no loyalty there. There's no heart. There isn't even when there is spiritual adultery. Instead, Chris Spielman had this commitment to a faithful wife, but Hosea has got this commitment to an unfaithful wife, is what he has. And that's what chapter 3, verses 1 through 3 are all about. Read there with me. He says, go again, in verse 1, love a woman who's loved by a lover and is committing adultery. And then he pivots and says, that's just like Israel in me, just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel who look to other gods and love the raisin cakes of the pagans. I mean, Israel was pretty cheap. All it took was a little dessert to get their attention. That's all it took. That's what it takes for a lot today. I'll say to you, whatever you're pursuing in spiritual adultery, at its best, it's far below God at His worst, if we can say such a thing. And so, he says in verse 2, I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver. According to Exodus 21, that is half the price of a slave. Gomer is not worth the full price of a slave where she is now. And then he goes on, and one and a half omers of barley, that's food for the poor. So he does all that he can as a poor prophet to round up enough price to purchase Gomer out of slavery from her pimp, and this is all he can muster, and apparently she's a pretty good bargain at this stage in her life. In other words, Gomer is worn out, and she is exhausted. She's not the budding beautiful bride the day they got married. I did some searches this week of folks that have gone through a hard time. And I want you to look at the screen as we go through them in just a moment. When they were married, Gomer was the picture on the left. When Hosea came to purchase her out of slavery, she was the one on the right. Worn out and exhausted, not even worth half the price of a slave, and yet Hosea came after her anyway. And thus you have the look of God's love. Do you know there's nothing in us that 
moves and prompts God to love us? There is nothing at all. Nothing that's attractive. Everything repulsive. Nothing appealing. Everything disastrous. And yet the love of God never changes. Do you know why that is? Because God does not base His love on what He sees in us. He bases His love on what He sees in Jesus. And for that reason, there's all the hope in the world. When we're in Christ, He identifies us with the Lord Jesus. And it makes all the difference in the world. So God's love looks like God and it always has. In fact, God even gets specific and measurable and detailed in His love for His people. When God comes to the earth and He unveils Himself as a great God of love, guess what He looks like? You want to take a guess? What, what does God look like when He comes to the human race and unveils His love? What, what, what does He look like when He manifests Himself in power, glory, and truth, and grace? Friends, when God came to the earth to identify and put into human form what He looks like, He looked just like Jesus. Does that make any difference? Does that impress anyone like it impresses me? Oh, my soul. When God wants to make Himself known, He looks just like the Lord Jesus. That's who God is. And, and so there's nothing in Gomer, and there's nothing in Israel, and there's nothing in the human race to prompt the love of God today. And so the only way to be forgiven and to gain entrance into heaven is through what Christ has done for us. He does the work. Dick and Rick Hoyt are a, quite a team, quite a running team. Uh, they've run several marathons. They've done dozens of triathlons. They've even crossed the United States running. But Dick does all the running, Rick does not. When Rick was born, the umbilical cord was wrapped around his neck. And it paralyzed him and it affected his walk and it affected his speech. But somehow at the age of 15, in a wheelchair, he communicated to his parents that he wanted to start running. Well, his dad Dick was not a runner at all, but he took it up. And all these years then, he has run... Uh, everything from marathons to triathlons across the United States, and they have run the equivalent of the Ironman running portion of the Ironman competition several times. And what happens is, is that Dick gets him into an appropriate uh, wheelchair and gets behind him and runs himself, pushing his son on these long runs. Now here's the point I want you to get. Dick does all the work. The father does all the work. The son contributes nothing to it. Nothing at all. And friends, when we come to God in Jesus Christ, you've got to understand that is precisely how we approach Him. God does all the work in Jesus Christ. We really don't contribute anything but the sin that made it necessary. And do you know something? God is willing today to get into an eternal walk with you and with me on those terms. I don't understand that. Do you? I mean, what does he get out of this except wounds in his hands and his feet, his brow and his side? I mean, why in the world would this God ever take interest in the human race? 
I've not yet figured it out. I, I have done personal study of the Bible and theology. I, I've done academic study. I, I spent more years after high school in theological education than I did before uh, graduating from high school. And I am still befuddled, amazed, and completely without explanation for the marvelous love of God why He would ever want to have a thing to do with any of us. If you figure it out, tell the rest of us, would you? I don't understand. He is willing to get into a walk with us for all eternity on those terms. If you'll come. If you'll humble yourself before Him. And you'll have a chance to do that today. Folks, that is how the love of God looks. And so that's the long-suffering of God's love. And the look of God's love. Then, in verses 4 and 5, there is the lift of God's love. Now, there's tremendous loss that is uh, here in this text. He says in verse 4, The children of Israel shall abide many days without a king or prince. This is the northern kingdom, and that's precisely what happened. Assyria invaded them in 722 B.C., scattered them across the earth. Those ten tribes are gone. They've never been reassembled since then. And so there's national loss here. Those that rule Israel and have ruled Israel since 722 B.C., have not included the ten tribes of Israel. And they won't be reassembled until Revelation 7, the events of Revelation 7. Even today, we don't know where they are. They, they have had a national loss, and the kings and princes of Israel have not ruled over them. And then, without sacrifice or sacred pillar. And so there's no opportunity to offer their sacrifices before God. The temple was destroyed in AD 70. And then without ephod or teraphim. In other words, no priestly service before God. No temple, no sacrifices, no priestly service, no national identity, at least for the ten tribes, and on a smaller scale for the lower two, Judah and Benjamin. So they lost all. In other words, they have great loss like Gomer had loss. But then look at the promise of verse number five. There's tremendous lift that takes place here. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return. That's the lift of a home. They were deported. They were sent aside. And one day God is going to reassemble Israel, according to Revelation 7. And they shall have a home. And so there's the lift of the return. Then they will seek the Lord their God and David, their king. Here, here is the lift of the right pursuits. They will finally give themselves vigorously to please God, and David, their king. Well, King David's dead by now. That is a subtle reference to Jesus Christ. And they shall fear or be in awe of the Lord and His goodness in their latter days. That's the lift of His blessing and His goodness. And so here's what God says. Israel, you're just like Gomer. Frankly, you're a bargain. Frankly, you're not really worth the price of a slave. But I'm going to pay for you anyway. I'm going to reclaim you and bring you back, exalt you, lift you up, give you a home, give you the right pursuits, and I'm going to give you great awe in my name and tremendous blessing. I am going to lift you. From sinking sand, he lifted me. With tender hand, he lifted me. From shades of night to plains of light. Oh, praise his name. His love lifted me. Thank God he did. Hey, do you know something? I'll repeat. God at his worst is far superior to other loves at their best. 
There is a place in every human soul that is shaped like the Lord Jesus, and only Jesus fits there. And the reason so many people are so terribly dissatisfied, and they cannot get any peace, and they cannot get any rest in their soul, is that they're attempting to fill that up with something else. It may be some kind of addiction or addictive behavior, and maybe not that, or but something close. It may be intellectualism. It may be religion, where religion becomes an opportunity for selfishness, not service to Christ. It may be a large variety of things, but if it isn't Jesus, it isn't fitting. That's why only Christ himself fits. You see, what some people are trying to do is they're trying to take a size 10 foot and put it into a six and a half shoe. Look here with me for just a moment. A size 10 foot in a six and a half shoe. You see, that's what some are doing. And what they think they're doing is that they're taking their size 10 foot and putting it into a size 10 pair of boots that cost nearly $5,000. That's not what you're doing. What you're doing, if you're not placing Christ there at the center, what you're doing is that you're taking a size 10 foot and putting it into a six and a half pair of cheap shoes when God offers you the right fit of a shoe that is far more valuable than anything you could ever find in this world. That's precisely what he's offering. And that's why he's calling you to come to him today and yield to him today and surrender today because he loves you. He's willing to bless you in this, in this way. And, and you can just imagine Gomer going through this similar experience. Can you imagine Gomer coming home? Now, let me tell you how the homes were built in that day. The male would marry, the man would marry the female, and typically they would add on to their father's house a dwelling place and the young couple would live at their father at his father's home at his place and so they would be engaged or betrothed and he would take about a year to build an add-on in addition to his father's home and then in a special ceremony with his friends uh, towards midnight on the right date he would go and retrieve his bride and bring her home and that's why Jesus said, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. I go to prepare a place for you. That when I come, I will receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And that's what Hosea would do if he was a typical Jewish male. So when they were married, Hosea built an add-on in addition to his father's home. Gomer leaves. Gomer leaves Hosea and their son and the two sons by other men. And so for this unidentified period of time, here Hosea is taking care of these kids. His parents are taking care of these children. His sisters and brothers and their spouses, their husbands and wives, are taking care of these children. One day Hosea gets word Gomer's going Gomer's to be sold. He goes and he rounds up all that he can as a poor prophet. He purchases her and brings her back to the home place. Can you imagine the reception? If you didn't have this text, you can imagine this. Gomer shows up, she comes to the gate, and the father shouts at Hosea, the law says we should stone her. 
and you bring her here? The mother whispers to the husband, I'd like to slap her, but I'm the mother of a prophet. A brother is off in a corner somewhere trying to gather himself because he's seething. Oh, there's a sister that doesn't hold back though. She rounds the corner and she comes and she grabs two handfuls of Gomer's hair and yanks it and pulls her and calls her, you dirty, filthy! And then she uses every derogatory term that such women are called. I had to take care of your children. They cried themselves to sleep every night. And you were not here. And you come back like this? That's one way she could be received back home. Ladies and gentlemen, do you understand that's not what the text implies? That's not what happened to Gomer at all. Gomer was not received back as the harlot she was. Gomer was received, if I can use this image, Gomer was received back to Hosea's home like a missionary. She was covered in the grace and the mercy of Hosea and now her God. Oh man, it's fun for missionaries to come back to the United States when they've been gone a while. Uh, their hearts in many ways are still overseas, but uh, you know, one one, uh, one kid says, hey, listen, I want the monkey brain. Give that to me. And uh, the, somebody else says, uh, give me the fermented horse milk. That'd be great. And uh, they're excited about the exotic gifts that come from over there. And, and they're, they're, they're thrilled, and they hug, and they, they greet each other. They welcome each other. They listen. They tell stories. That is how Hose, uh, Gomer was received back home. Or, like sailors come home to their families. I remember in 1997, I had the opportunity to sail on the USS Coral Sea as a 12-year-old boy with my father and grandfather. There was a certain program that naval officers uh, could uh, take advantage of where the male relatives of, uh, a couple male relatives of the officer uh, could uh, accompany them on ship. And we sailed all the way from Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, back to uh, San Francisco to the base there. For a whole week as a 12-year-old boy, I got to be on a United States aircraft carrier. It was a tremendous experience. A lot of detail I could share with you, but uh, I won't do that today. But it was a thrill. And one of the most uh, thrilling moments as just a 12-year-old boy was to see the ship come in and the families lined up on the dock jumping up and down and thrilled because Dad was coming home. And I'll never forget men... Off, going off the gangplank, getting to their families. And I watched from there. I, I, I wasn't the first off. I was one of the last. I wanted it to last as long as it could. And I remember looking and seeing wives grabbing their husbands and hugging them and kissing them. And it took them a long time to come up for air. And I didn't know married people kissed that way. But my goodness, they did. There was a thrill that took place whenever he came home. Ladies and gentlemen, God is promising here not the reception of a harlot. God is promising the similar reception we would have to a missionary or to a sailor coming home to anyone that trusts the love of God. My goodness. And that's what you can have today.
That's what you can have in every one of your failures, every one of your anxieties, every one of your difficulties, every one of your sins, if you'll humble yourself and return. Well, what do I need to do? Well, let's keep using the image of the text. The first thing is you've got to divorce yourself from the life you're now living. You've got to leave it. You've got to abandon it. Divorce it. No more life outside the will of Jesus Christ. No more life where other loves are my priority. No more of that. I am divorcing that. I'm leaving it behind. The Bible calls that repentance. Jesus came preaching the gospel saying, repent. That's the first thing. And then, in trust and faith, you wed yourself to Jesus Christ. You connect with Him. You make a decision to connect with Him by faith and you wed yourself to Him because He bled and died and rose again and how could you ever say no to Him? Jesus came preaching the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. And we want to help you with that today. We're going to sing a song in just a moment and as we do, we're going to ask you to step out from where you are real quickly to stand and step out and come meet one of our staff members here and make that decision for Christ. Some of you have already done that and you're ready to become part of Beach Haven Baptist Church. God wants you here and we want you here. And you're ready to do the will of God and become part of Beach Haven. Others of you need to follow Christ in baptism. You come. God may be doing something else in your life and we would be glad to help you with that. But quickly stand with me, please. Let's pray together and then we're going to do what God wants us to do.